As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. The seven-headed beast with ten horns had been wounded by the sword which is a reference to the Word of God. And we saw the first wounding of this beast by the death of Christ on the cross and the subsequent coming of the gospel of the kingdom and the propagating of the gospel of the kingdom. It managed to reconstitute itself by luring the church that that had begun to drift away from the truth early early after its formation, um, it, it reconstituted itself, the church reconstituted itself around grants of power, primarily Uh, from the Roman government. But historically, churches have sought to align themselves with governments and with kings to obtain certain benefits. Um, Even here and now in the United States, uh, the biggest move in the evangelical church has been, of course, to align itself first with the Republican Party and then with Donald Trump in particular, as a, we, as a way of gaining power. So this principle of harlotry has been generally the pattern of the church. Eventually, of course, uh, the, the, the beast reboots itself because that which is supposed to oppose it has become complicit with it. So the Word, the person of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a sword, a sharp sword coming out of His mouth, which is to say that the Word of God is quicker, more powerful than any two-edged sword and can destroy falsehoods. The entire cosmos, you will remember, is based on falsehoods, a lie that you can be as gods if you you separate yourself from God and rely upon your own understanding, Which which is why there is the admonition that we should trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding, but instead be obedient. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. But the search for relevance in the church has routinely led it back into the arms of kings. Uh, it It is the common form of deception. So even when this great wound had been inflicted, it reconstituted itself over time and 
appears to have been healed. This beast, however, the second beast that comes up out of the earth is now acting on behalf of the first beast. So you have a direct contention between those who, are, who live the truth and are speaking the truth and the beast itself. It's no longer content just to invade the house of God, it is now of sufficient strength in its own perspectives that it is able to mount a direct challenge to the, to the remnant of believers. It is sufficiently confident of its domination of the, the, the airways, its domination of the popular mindset, the domination of the cultural war and the cultural ideas. It is so confident of that that its move, its move is to create an alternative to the truth. Now, it has always been that in practice, but it's been invisible. Now it's emerging in a strident, argumentative, um, confrontational posture. Because the goal, you see, is to extinguish the truth. It has always had that goal to kill that which represents the truth. Whether it's Moses who was bringing forth a people who carried the Deliverer amongst them in the line of Judah, or Christ who was in fact and is in fact the promised Messiah, the intent of the enemy ultimately is to extinguish the truth. This is his big plan. Now, Keep in mind, God intended to create a man in the image and likeness of God. For what purpose? For the purpose of putting the nature of God on display. The enemy intends to create systems, systems that may capture the souls of men and put on display that which is in the heart of the enemy. So it it of necessity begins invisibly, but at some point it has to become, uh, it has to take on visible and tangible focus in order to extinguish the truth. So it does in in this form. Now this is the one known in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as the man of lawlessness, the man of lawlessness. You remember Paul saying to the Thessalonians that the return of the Lord, which is the parousia, the day of the Lord, uh, will not come unless there is a great falling away by which the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, pause for a moment. Do you suppose that the man of lawlessness 
is revealed to those who have fallen away? No, no. He is the champion. He is Christ. Or he is, he is the savior to those who have fallen away. And to those who never were saved, he is the peacemaker that everybody's been looking for. To whom is he the lawless one? Those who have the standard of Christ. Because the term lawless one found in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that corresponds exactly to the activities of this second beast, the one with the two horns and the dragon breath. This one uh, does things that deceives everybody. When you are deceived, you think that the counterfeit is the real thing. If you continue to know what the real thing is, then you may be intimidated by the counterfeit, but you won't be deceived by it. The only ones who will not be deceived by this one who appears to be like the Lamb, he has all the right credentials, he has all the right appearance, uh, he looks like how a Savior should look. Just like I've, I, I, in a sense, jokingly said about so many of these television prophets who have taken to growing Old Testament style prophetic beards. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a costume, it's an item of costume designed to trap the unwary. Don't listen to, don't, don't be focused on how they look, hear what they're saying and see if God is speaking through them. And the, you know, these things are pretty measurable um, and pretty objective. If they say God said XYZ and it didn't happen, then they aren't speaking for God. That's dragon speech. Doesn't matter what the beard is. Doesn't matter how they dress. It is what it says because the true nature of anything is what's in the heart and it's revealed when you open your mouth. Anyway, I don't want to relitigate that, that point. <clears throat> I was saying that the lawless one uh, performs great signs so that he, makes, he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. In other words, fully cuddling up to the beast, fully aligning himself, uh, so that people could see Enopian, people could see that he was the representation of the beast. He does everything to make sure that he has the imprimatur of the beast and that everybody sees that. So what does that mean? It means he is the most 
articulate of the philosophy of the cosmos. He's the most convincing of the representations of that godless diatribe. And so convincing in fact that he is a primary instrument for the winning of the polemics war, the war of words, the very war by which the saints are overcome. So he then performs great signs. Uh, and it's interesting to me the signs he performs. You will remember that the prophet Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal called down fire from heaven in the view of all. In fact, Elijah had the sacrifices that he had prepared to offer to God. He had the sacrifices doused with water. Uh, and in fact, they dug a trench around the altar and there was enough water poured on the sacrifice that it, it gathered in the trenches. And when fire came down from heaven in the sight of all, it licked up the water in the trenches in addition to consuming the sacrifice. Now what does this tell you? This is an intentional effort to replicate that which gave Elijah credibility as the very essence of the prophetic in the Old Testament. What do I mean by that? When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, there appeared together with Him Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. And Moses was taken away representing the law, finding its fulfillment in Christ. And Elijah was taken away representing the pro all the prophecies concerning Christ being fulfilled in Christ. And Christ stood alone, unrivaled in all of His glory. So Elijah is the very picture of the prophetic, very picture of those who speak for God. In fact, when John the Baptist came, and John the Baptist is described as the greatest of the prophets under the law, why would that be so? And why, why is it that Elijah would also be considered the very essence of the prophetic? It's simple. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, according to Jesus Himself. So the spirit of Elijah is that which stands astride the prophetic. It's no wonder that so many claim to be associated with Elijah to clothe themselves with the credibility of the prophetic. 
names like the Elijah List and so on. But pay close attention because these are the very prophets who prophesied the second uh, uh, inauguration of Donald Trump as president and they were wrong. God did not say so. So, and this isn't just an attempt to take a swipe at false prophets. It is to say that Elijah is the standard of the spirit of prophecy in the Old, in the Old Testament. We could delve into the name Elijah and, um, and where he lived. Uh, my friend Thamo Naidu has done a wonderful job of deconstructing the name Elijah. Uh, I'm focusing for our purposes now on what one of the most famous of the demonstrations of the spirit of the prophet that that was credited to Elijah. Now you will notice that when it says, He performs great signs so that even He makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which He was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Now, I want to go very quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and read you something. It says that there will be this this man of lawlessness, here's something that he will be able to do. I recommend that you read from verse 1 of chapter 2 of Elijah of, of Thessalonians. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. He says, I don't want you to be deceived to think that the day of the Lord has already come. He says, but it will not come, the day of the Lord, the parousia, will not occur until, unless first there comes a great falling away because only a remnant will be able to discern the activities of the rising of this man of lawlessness. This description here is an identical match to his description in Revelation 13.12. So I'll just read it to you. Will not come unless there's a great falling away, which means what? People are deceived. If falling away is not when people are walking in a manner consistent with the truth. If falling away occurs when a people have been deceived. Falling away here is not the world falling away. They're condemned already. Falling away is when the church moves from the woman in the wilderness to the harlot who is deceived and leads astray those who are led by their own lust. But let's go on. It's so rich here. I don't understand how it's possible for people to speak about the mark of the beast, his number and his name without seeing the setup of the one who has 
whose, whose number and name and mark, whose image, number and name, uh, these, this is the one who has the image, number and name. It's not the horn and it's not the beast. It's this one. Because he is the one who is primarily responsible for people being led astray. Now who is it who can lead church people astray? You have to be able to speak like a dragon. You have to be able to look like a lamb even though you're speaking like a dragon. This is this one who rises out of popular theology, out of popular culture, out of popular imagination. He brings together what people think God ought to be into public policy, public forums, and is a deceiver. He says, so the falling away will come and then the son of perdition, uh, the man of sin is revealed and he's the son of perdition. And here's this, here is his description. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or, does, or that is worshipped. So he opposes God. But does it sound like he's opposing God? No. That's the decep- deception associated with dragon speak. Because if he obviously sounds like he's opposing God, why would not the church people figure it out? The point is in his opposing God, he doesn't sound like he's opposing God. He exalts himself above all that is called God or is worship. So he resets the boundaries, he removes the ancient boundaries and resets the boundary lines to popular opinion, popular views, what is consumable even by church folk. I can understand why the doctrine of getting out of here is so popular, the doctrine of the rapture, because it avoid this, the great falling away, the great deception by this beast that comes up out of the earth. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I am, I am exasperated at the way that religious leaders and teachers think about the scriptures so domestically. So for them the temple is the temple in Jerusalem. Have we not remembered? Has it been so distant from our memory? Jesus speaking of himself said, destroy this temple and I will build it again in three days. Or Paul, know you not that you, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and whoever profanes the temple of God, him will God destroy? We've spoken so much of the naos of God, the dwelling place. of What makes a temple a temple 
is that the God to whom it's dedicated lives there. But evangelicals keep insisting that God has to restore the temple in Jerusalem. And so that's why they want the Jewish capital to be moved to Jerusalem. They have this domesticated view and none of it is going to happen. But in the meantime, it'll cause it'll be the source of much conflict and chaos among the nations. And it will make it easy to persecute people who are so obviously wrong, who have caused so much trouble in the world. Do you realize how much trouble the church, the evangelical church in particular, has caused the nation right now? Because of the evangelical church, the nation can't be governed. Because of the evangelical church, the nation is so so divided that ultimately it will fall. And I am telling you that the evangelical church will be blamed for it. And they should be, because they are the ones who, in understanding the scriptures falsely and domesticating it, have created these frictions and tensions within the nation. They've insisted on the nation being the kingdom rather than that the kingdom is the kingdom. Listen, America has not been, never been, it is not now, nor will it ever be the kingdom of God. How on earth could we have become so deceived? So much so that one of the most eminent of of this prophetic type considers that because uh, politics has shown a division between the nations, that the church is fighting a cultural war. Give me a break. We're not in conflict with, with any culture. We're our own culture. We stand or fall on the basis of whether or not we believe the truth. Trying to get society to agree with us has never been the mandate of Christ. The mandate of Christ is to call you out of one kingdom into another, not to make the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of God by an infiltration. This is the error of such doctrines as the seven mountains. They've led the people astray because they don't know the scriptures and the people are being led astray and it'll lead to the man of lawlessness coming forth, dwelling in the temple of God, uh, showing himself to be God. But then let me, let me finish this very quickly. It says that the coming of this lawless one is according to the works of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. And because of this, God gives them over to a strong delusion that they should believe the lie 
and should be condemned because they have not believed the truth, but they took pleasure in unrighteousness. Same exact thing said about the lawless one, that he performs great signs, back to Revelation 13, uh, 13, performs great signs so that even makes, he acts like Elijah, fire coming down in the sight of men. And, and the next thing he does, he tells those who dwell on the earth that they need to make an image of the beast. That's where I want to go the next time. Right? Continue the study with me as we look at the image of the beast, forming the image of the beast. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye-bye.